Welcome to the BSA Capital Tech and Transitional Energy podcast on Thursday, February the 24th, and a day where we uh, seem to have gone, well, I think war has broken out in Eastern Europe with Ukraine and the Russians invading. Uh, quite, a, quite a day, really. I think it's caught us all a little bit on the hop, even though it's obviously been brewing up. Markets feel pretty horrible. Um, I think, you know, clearly we all will have our own views on the situation. I'm not saying that we know anything better than anybody else, but you know, what it is going to do is absolutely highlight the geo- geopolitical divide between the East and the West, between democracy and autocracy. And it is going to mean that more and more and more, the West is going to think we have got to have our own natural resources, supply chains, processing, infrastructure, etc. So it actually does impact, I would suggest, the whole transitional energy revolution because you know certainly the 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 west has suddenly no longer can rely upon russian gas can no longer rely upon you know commodity processing and battery building in china it is going to want to bring it all in house in particular america i think you're going to see you know more and more capability within the transitional energy sector across the whole of the us and europe so you know, war clearly isn't a good thing, but actually the transitional energy sector, this will stimulate massive investment, I think, into it, so that we have our own capabilities and we are no longer reliant upon anybody in the East. Would you agree with that, Phil, as a good starting point? Uh, yes, it, yes, it is. Um, and in fact, we've seen, you know, the announcements from the White House this week on investments that they're making to, uh, you know, localise uh, production of, of specialist metals that are required for all sorts of well industries, but uh, strategic ones as well, and for for defence. So I think a lot more is going to be bought um, in house, and it also it has a big impact on engineering uh, globally. Um, oh, like, I think that's right. It, it has an impact across the whole supply chain, doesn't it? Really, yeah. because you know we you tend to headline tends to be critical metals we must get them, but the reality is the thing mm. about critical metals is who can process them. So, for instance, yeah. rare earths that make the magnets that go into EVs, China has nearly all the processing. So we have to start building process plants to create the, the, the to process the rare earths, to make the batteries that go into the EVs in the West. It's the UK, it's Europe, it's um, America. Yeah, yeah. Battery plants. We can no longer rely upon the East probably supplying us with batteries. We've got, to, I'm talking all batteries, whether it's lithium ion or vanadium flow or sodium zinc bromide you name it we've got to have our own capabilities yeah. and i think the in particular the american government potentially will pump not just billions but we know trillions of dollars into this space so once we get out of all of this sort of you know war scenario and markets falling out of bed and pretty much everything being sold off actually those are the areas that should bounce back very quickly yeah yeah no, it's going to be a very, very big strategic shift. And it's quite, I think it's just a shock to the global system. I mean, there's a whole generation, Andrew, who hasn't seen this, uh, including, you know, including you and I, sort of combating this, you know, on this scale. And there was, a, I mean, I remember years back in, in sort of tech, and, uh, you know, when I was working for the Americans, multinationals, what was it? Uh, think locally, act globally was the thing, uh, the philosophy. And probably reverse that now. There'll be a lot more, you know, as you say, um, real focus on localization and investment. Yeah. I mean, we, we, I, don't, I don't want to diverse away from tech and transitional energy into a sort of a, a war podcast, but we probably did sort of see it with um, Kuwait and Iraq, 
where you know we did the west amassed huge troops and we went in and booted out the invaders so to speak it'll be interesting to see whether we do the same thing in this case because it could be a much bloodier result yeah um but i say we're not going to move into that i think as a as a setting of the scenes um you know that is where you start and again you know actually with the oil price which is now up at 105 dollars the, the more that goes up and the more the gas price goes up, the more we need transitional energy. I noticed today, actually, in the Centrica results, uh, you know, Centrica obviously owns British Gas, um, as well as all sort of gas distribution networks and things. You know, it was actually talking about how it wants to move into transitional energy. With It was talking about actually all sorts of things, nuclear, hydrogen, uh, but also solar and batteries. Mm, yep. So, you know, it is the way this is just going to accelerate some of these things, I think. Uh, but it's been a week, actually, you know, dare I say it, we could talk about um, structural sort of things, but it's been quite a lot of big results, isn't it, Phil? We should probably do a bit of a results and news profile section here. And I think we I think we should. I don't know, where, where would you like to kick this well, off? Well, why don't we start off in the sort of, you know, the, the techie side of aerospace. Right. Uh, with yeah. both Aerospace and Rolls-Royce, uh, where my friend Warren East um, is stepping down after nine arduous years. But why don't you run through how you saw those two figures? Right. Well, B, firstly, BAE Systems, um, FTSE 100. BAE Systems are well, across all platforms, really, aircraft, uh, Navy and, and Army. And they had uh, they had four year results. Their shares, of course, have been doing very well over the last the last few months. Um, defence companies are, from an analyst point of view, notoriously difficult to do because they're very complex financially. But if you look at BAE was um, is is saying ahead, it said that it's, it's but you know the, the current results are up. You know you can see the sales have risen up from 21 billion to over 21 billion, and the uh, you know the EBIT the earnings are, are up nearly 10 percent. I mean they're very good. The EBIT's up to 2.2 billion. But uh, I think the key thing is what are they saying ahead and their expectation. I mean they're saying they're expecting to grow 2 percent to 4 percent, um, but it's where they're expecting the growth from, uh, and it's electronic systems, air maritime, cyber and intelligence segments. Well, people realise that BAE systems do quite a lot in in cyber and it's also remember these defense companies as well they get a lot of revenues from um from spares and from servicing and uh, they're anticipating something we're always looking for free cash flow of uh, of a billion pounds um and that sort of thing will support you know investment dividends but it was a good i thought you know obviously in given the environment but a good set of results from bae systems it, it was pretty good i mean obviously on a day when the market's falling out of bed but because yeah. of war it's one stock that could go up and it is up it's up about yeah. to four uh, percent rather uh, yeah. and uh at 627 which is close to a record high actually um and it's I mean, the interesting thing is if you look at this stock it's go back to you know when i came into the market in 1984 i think the price would have been the equivalent of about 100p so it's not been stunning but it's had a sort of regular although it's had its ups and downs with difficulties and it's transformed itself. I know it is basically heading from the bottom left-hand corner to the top right-hand corner of a chart, which is always a good sign. Um, so, yeah, I, I would give it pretty good results uh, yeah. today. Yeah. And it's also something of, of, of note. Well, of course, we've lost, you know, Ultra, Megit, Cobham over, you know, over the last couple of years. 
through uh, through takeovers in defence. So it is one of the last, you know, the last bigger, bigger, really big players in the space. And I guess this does move us on to uh, Rolls Royce um, results this morning. As you say, Warren has been there for nine years. He's had a, a hell of a tough time. Um, you know, COVID hit hit air travel, that hit aerospace, and of course demand for aircraft um, aircraft engines so he's you know significant restructuring has been undertaken um and you know money has had to be raised to support the support the stock but i think look bar the detailed financials and things as again it's it's on the sort of important messaging and what's and what they were saying and i, I thought the civil aerospace stuff it was interesting that they're seeing a big pickup of business it's um from aerospace uh, from airbus sorry and the uh, the freighter and of course, you know, given all of the stresses in global logistics, I guess if planes aren't flying, um, hauling passengers, they're certainly hauling freight um, overseas. And so they picked up uh, they picked up new orders on that, uh, which was good good for them. Um, on on uh, defence, they are still seeing work. They ordered uh, the B fifty two engine replacements, and the B fifty two has been flying what Andrew since the sixties. Longer, astonishing. Longer, actually, it's amazing. It just be, yeah. keeps going, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. In fact, the B-52s around during the Cuban Missile Crisis. That was 1962. So, yeah. So they won. They won contracts there, and they have said that they are seeing a significant increase in demand for power systems uh, there in order order to take accelerating. So, you know. Things are things are picking up for the business, um, and it has turned. Just looking for those results, the uh, revenue was down slightly, uh, but the gross profit loss has as they've moved up the gross profit, and uh, and it's moved into an operating operating profit by the looks of it. So, uh, no, no, I think Warren's done a really but, good job, and it's been very hard, isn't it? So yeah, well, oh god, yeah, yeah. In case you're listening, well done, Warren. After your after arm, that was a harder one, wasn't it? Uh, but also, so you know, Phil, the first B-52 actually blew on August the 5th, 1954. Whoa. Wow. Wow. So, there you go. Uh, right. Uh, those were two of the biggies today, actually. There was a lot of results coming through today. It's sort of final results season, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but we had a few other sort of smaller ones. I don't know if there's any that you want to mention. You might want to mention Ricardo because you like... Yeah, that's, that's just going to quick get Ricardo. Um, but... This is a very large uh, engineering consultancy firm, so they have a uh, huge expertise um, across a range of engineering for rail, uh, defence, uh, best known for automotive, uh, but also industrial applications. So they, uh, this company is packed full of engineers and experts, and they advise companies all around the world on engineering projects. Um, and they have their interim results to the end of December. Um, and this company is market caps 279 million, and just in terms of valuations, it's on a 0.9 times EV to revenue and a peg ratio of 0.5 times. And that's a ratio of of, uh, of the PE to the earnings growth, and a peg ratio below one uh, merits looking at generally from an investment perspective. Um, so they reported their interims, and the revenues are up 13% to 186 uh, million, and they and their 
profits um, and they need to improve their profit margins. It looks like they have been doing. Um, yeah, the profits increased from 8.7 million to 10.5 million on that revenue. So they're improving their margins, which is something we look for. They've reduced their debt from 46.9 million to 38.5 million. And they said their defence revenue increased by 55%. Um, part of that revenue growth. And uh, the sharp-eyed among you may have spotted that they won a three-year U.S. Army contract for $89 million uh, in 2021. And this is for ABS and electronic stability control systems for U.S. Army vehicles. So, um, you know, again, here's a company that benefits from defence spend, but... From a sort of overall perspective, it's seeing its increase, you know, its earnings increase, its margins increase, its debt reduced, and it does look to be on quite a reasonable rating. Uh, we've said, I think, on the past and in the past on this podcast that we think it's cheap. Um, it's got some really good products and some really good capabilities. It's perhaps just had some issues in the past. It's maybe almost too sort of spread out, but it is a quality company. There's no question about that. A mm-hmm. uh, yeah. couple of little ones. I don't know if you've noticed these two, but. Um, Traxxas and Trifast. Did you see either of those, Phil? I saw Trifast. Yeah. But, uh... right, I've got to say, can I just say before you say anything about the figures, all right, that I thought the CEO statement at Trifast was one of the best I've ever seen. And I'm actually thinking of taking it up for VSA itself. As what he said was, he said, Trifast has one clear aspiration to become a much bigger, more profitable company than the one we are today. <laughs> and I thought, yep. Perfect. That is a great vision. But anyway, sorry. Do tell me what you thought of the figures. <laughs> well, hey, you throw me now, as always. Uh, but it was a Q3 trading update, wasn't it? So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, do you know what? I'm trying to rack my brain to remember now. Um, I, it's only tried it, was all, it was all fine. It was actually all yeah. pretty much in line. So yeah. uh, I yeah. don't think you need to get too excited about it, but it was a fantastic headline statement from the CEO well done uh, yeah. and actually on on Traxxas which is quite interesting has some quite interesting technology it's often a little bit exposed to the railways people worry but right. yeah you know, but again that was all in line with board in line with board expectations and that sort of thing uh-huh. uh, but it is one we, we follow I know a lot of people hold it in their IHT portfolios um, so uh, worth mentioning that right look we're better also because there's actually been um, well, actually, have you got any other results you want to... So, well, well, well get, whipping back to transitional energy, uh, Green Coat Wind, uh, mm-hmm. UKW, 3.3 billion market cap. Um, share price, and this is relevant, share price is uh, 141.8p. They had full-year results. Now, Green Coat Wind owns a... Um, an awful lot of wind assets, it's fair to say. Um, and their their investments, so investing in wind generation, their investments generated uh, just under three gigawatt hours of of electricity over the year, and that's enough to power one and a half million homes. Um, and I don't know if you noticed last week during the storms, just for reference, thirty five percent of our electricity was coming from uh, wind generation at one stage, and twenty two percent from gas. So I'll keep my BDI on that. Anyway, so they, uh, Greencoats, getting back to their results, they generated um, from their assets £257 million. Um, they, uh, just in terms of sort of acquisition and expansion, 
it said uh, they acquired a number of, of, of wind assets and increased their portfolio to 43 operating wind farm investments and they increased the net generating capacity uh, to 1.4 uh, gigawatts at the end of December. From an investment perspective, what is interesting is that the uh, their market cap, and this is over the year, went from 2.4 billion up to three point, uh, just under 3.3 billion. Um, the dividend for the year is 148 million pounds, which on that market cap looks like a reasonable. Uh, yeah, here we are. Divi, respect to the year per share, 7.2p, and the share price is 141.8p. So that looks like it's a decent yield. Uh, and the NAV per share is 133.5p versus share price of 141.8p. So it's it's only a slight, you know, relatively a slight premium in terms of their asset value. I thought that was a good set of interesting set of results. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the problem is, it's. I mean, by the way, it's great when the wind is blowing really strongly. And but, you know, you've also got to be, make sure that you've got some storage with it, because otherwise, we, we, when the wind blows really strong, we often chuck a lot of the wind energy away, don't we? We do. And, and we love storage. But actually, this week as well, I don't know, I think you uh, you actually probably sent it to me, Phil. Um, uh, and that was a, a consultancy group called Aurora put out a, a very interesting report on long duration energy storage in the UK, didn't they? And I mean, yeah. Aurora is very independent. They're, they're sort of University of Oxford professors and economists. Um, so you can take this with a, you know, this genuine sort of independent. But I mean, that was quite an interesting report, wasn't it? And I mean, it, it says pretty much everything that we're saying is that, my God, this country has got to get, start putting in proper energy storage. It's, uh, yeah, it did. And, um, um, we are doing, and there were recent um, there were recent government figures out actually on the on the rise of storage in the UK, and also the recent figures from the uh, came out of the US. And the US, here we are, utility battery storage systems in the states grew by 196% last year, 2.6 gigawatts, um, which was shows the scale of investment going in. And we are, you know, in the, you can say in the UK, we are crossing on with it at a pace. Yeah, um, uh, you know, obviously it needs to be all forms of energy storage. This report yeah. does talk about all forms. I mean, actually, we always forget one of the biggest forms, of course, is pumped hydro. But with pumped hydro, you do sort of need a bit of a mountain next door to you. Um, long long planning permission and uh, very long construction timescales. But yeah, still uh, by a massive way, pumped hydro is still the, uh, the you know biggest provider of, of storage. But the investment, investment's going to battery. Yeah, correct. And a, a podcast from us without talking about Invinity Energy Systems just wouldn't be the same, wouldn't it? But they have had news out yesterday. Uh, why don't you talk through that news? Because it is actually pretty good news, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it, it, it is actually. Um, they've been awarded funding from the UK uh, government, um, and it's from the Department of Business Energy Industrial Strategy, BEIS. Um, and it was an award for 0.7 million pounds. And this is for phase one of uh, the uh, long duration energy storage or Lowe's demonstration competition. Um, and they have uh, said that the award will fund um, planning and feasibility study into what could be one of the UK's largest um, solar and energy storage projects. Now, this is a competition, bear in mind, there are some other um, energy technologies i think involved in this but they're at a very advanced stage and they've said that if that phase one is successful 
It's expecting this project to progress through financial close under the construction of 40 megawatt hours of um, of uh, battery store or battery storage using their technology. So it's a it's a cracking opportunity for them. Uh, they'll keep you know they're going to be updating the market as they progress with this. But I just you know we try to put it in perspective that what that size of project means. And if you look at our forecast that we got for this year of uh, just over 26 million pounds of revenue from Vinity, that's on 31.6 megawatt hours of VFBs, and this is a 40 meg potential project. And the key thing in it is that they are working with it. They're managed overseeing it, this phase one, and they are overseeing it in partnership with Pivot Power, who are, of course, part of EDF Renewables. And Pivot Power um, have a wide range of battery assets across the UK that they are building. So really, really important news, I thought, for Infinity. Well, I think actually it's interesting because you say they are building. They are planning to build. I mean, if yeah. you actually go on the Pivot Power website, you can get a little map um, and it's got yellow dots for ones which are built, which is, mm -hmm. we all know, the Oxford Superhub. And they've actually got one down in Kent. Yeah. Uh, they've got a couple of orange dots, which are sort of ones that are, as you would put it, you know, about to come onto construction, so yeah, to speak. Uh, but actually most of the map is full of blue dots, which is the ones that they want to build. Now, if you took all of those dots and put you know, a load of Infinity batteries. My goodness me, what a company that would be. But I'll also tell you that currently, I talk to quite a lot of the people who play the uh, standby energy market, uh, the biggest of which is Mercy of Power, probably, backed by Foresight. Uh, and at the moment, you know, we talked last week about the, uh, the UK energy capacity market. You know, right now, they are making so much money arbitraging the grid because of this crazy energy prices. I'll tell you, you could take a box field, just take any old box, a shoe box almost, put it in a field, connect it to the national grid, and you will make money. Um, and I think there's a huge opportunity for um, putting flow batteries, just putting them in a field, and actually do, instead of selling them to these people, just lease them to them. They don't even have any upfront costs because you would make so much money, you'd get your money back in no time. I have told Invinity this, by the way. No, I, 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 I must remind investors that uh, Invinity is a, is a is a client of ours, but a very good one. Um, but you are you are spot on, and spot on being the operative word in terms of the in terms of the pricing. But that, but but it seems to be you know it's very much an increasing trend in terms of the pricing that's available for storage capacity. And of course, given the fluctuate the massive fluctuations that we've seen in wind in the UK and the reliance on gas generation. Um, yeah, and I said, yeah, look, it is a cracking opportunity if you've got battery, if you've got battery assets. Yeah. Now, anything else you want to touch base on tech, pure tech and trans? No. I've got a couple of other things. Right, go for it. Uh, the first one I was going to mention, because it is, we, we occasionally talk about Aqua Stock Exchange, the sort of technology coming into um, stock exchanges. And I think we have mentioned before here, primary bid because it's sort of trying to use modern technology to change the way us investment banks work. Uh, I noticed that they've raised a, another huge chunk of money, I think about $190 million, to value them at $700 million. I mean, they are basically just an electronic stockbroker. So I'm thinking of turning VSA, you're going electronic. Uh, I'll turn you into a robot, Phil, and tell everyone that we're, we're electronic trading. Uh, and we can be about worth $700 million. It, it, it worries me, I'll be honest with you, with, with primary bid for all sorts of reasons. But I mean, it, it really, they're not doing anything particularly new. They're just electronic. 
Um, yes, they've got a good database. Yes, they've got the systems working, but I think it is highly replicable. Um, in fact, I know, for instance, I've gone and looked at the appeal hunt system called Rex, which in many ways is actually better than primary bid, just not as well known. Um, but it accesses directly into the sort of SIPs and ISAs held at places like Hargreaves Lansdowne. Um, so I think primary bid is actually fairly easily, I mean, it has got a market lead, don't get me wrong, and it's well cashed up and it's, you know, but you can replicate it. I think 700 million is extraordinary, but well done, Anna, and if you're listening, um, because you've done extraordinarily well. I would never have quite guessed it, um, but just don't come round and uh, start trying to take business away from me. I don't like that. Um, <laughs> don't know if you have a that. Moving swiftly onwards. Yeah, all right, moving swiftly on. We've got one more thing. We, we, we are trans tech and brands nowadays. Um, but I also noticed WPP had results today. Did you look at them? No. No reason why you should, Phil. So don't worry, you're not in trouble for not looking at them. Um, they actually were very good results. Um, but, uh, and actually they did say very, very strong, no, they didn't say very, very. They said very strong growth driven by demand for digital services, e-commerce and technology. Um over one, oh, that, that, so that's billion return to shells. That was all good. But what they did talk about, all right, and I'll just, I'll literally read from the results. Within digital, one of the big drivers of growth has been the explosion in e-commerce. The pandemic accelerated a widespread shift towards shopping online, amplifying the number of opportunities for brands to connect to consumers on digital channels, whilst also leveling the playing fields for challenger brands. Uh, Group M estimates that the global retail e-commerce advanced 20.4% in 2001. This is an area WPP are keen to grow. Uh, and I, I think we want to watch that space. WPP clearly, and, and we have a, uh, it's telling you where some of the big, big boys are now starting to focus on. Um, obviously, we've got our client, Samarkand, had not an easy time recently because China has been quite difficult. Uh, actually, I, I am told, by the way, that China is, since the Olympics have finished, have already started opening up um, the market a little bit for, for Western deliveries, which was closed. Uh, and today, of course, they signed up a new, another new client, Revolution Beauty, which is a UK listed company. I mean, they are slowly but surely signing up everybody, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They're making super, they are making super progress. And they, um, yeah, the WPP, now I have actually, I didn't look at the results today, but I have certainly looked at them before and what their, you know, their involvement's in, uh, e-commerce and they are uh, I think they've been making a number of acquisitions in the space as well uh, beefing up the you know their capability in that so there's it's it's yeah it's all getting very interesting and um, yes and Samarkand are, are as you say are signing up an increasing number of people uh, there you go right Phil anything else no Andrew I think that's it for today uh, that's good. I hope everyone, uh, I hope people had time to listen and they aren't too focused on what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, as usual, uh, do feel free to send me and fill £100. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, any comments on this podcast? Uh, we're not that desperate, honest. Uh, or if you've got things you want us to discuss, please let us know. Yeah. Uh, and we'll speak to you all um, next week. Thanks. Yeah, look forward to it. Andrew, chat next week.